if you have your Bibles, you can go there. I'm going to uh, share with you from Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Over the last several weeks, we've been running through Genesis very, very slowly. Why? Because there's a whole bunch in there. There's a whole bunch of layers. And I, I will tell you, it's getting harder and harder for me to think about going through now chapters and chunks of Genesis because I just want to take a verse and a word and pull it apart and, and do that kind of a deal. Um, but we're going to try to, uh, you know, expedite this a little bit and move on and share with you some of the general themes and some general uh, starting points for thinking about these stories that are coming. We have the Noah and the flood and the ark story right now. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel, and then we're going to get to Abraham, and we're going to be talking about some of these big stories. And our hope is that we're going to share with you some insights that I I hope um, illuminate for you a little bit more about who this God is and the stories that are being told in the scriptures. And then I also hope that it kind of spurs you on and and ignites a little fire in you. It's like, let's read this more. There's, there's more in here. There's, there's depth, there's understanding insight that can be really, um, challenging, but also really inspiring for following this God. So Genesis chapter six through nine, illustrates shares the story of Noah and the ark. And I want to share with you a couple things. Um, I'm not going to go through it like I've, I've done before, but we'll point out a couple things in some verses. So you may want to have your Bibles out ready to highlight and circle some words because there is some really cool stuff in here I want to show you. And it illuminates again um, the character of who God is and what God is trying to share with us through this story. Now, one of the things that is important to uh, spark is good education and good historical education and understanding that these stories are complicated and they are wrapped up in history and context. And I can imagine that many of you have probably um, had conversations, and if not, you have friends or associates um, that know that the flood story in Genesis is comparable to other flood narratives that we have found in ancient Mesopotamia. And you know, some churches like to gloss over that and get down to the, the nitty gritty of like, well, let me tell you why I believe it really happened this way and why it was a global flood and not a local flood and all these kinds of conversations. And I think it's important for us at Spark, we have a very high value for education. We need to let you know and share with you, it is true that these stories do exist. And the most famous of them is called the Epic of Gilgamesh. In Tablet 11, there's 12 tablets of the Epic of Gilgamesh written in cuneiform. You can see a little bit of what that kind of looks like. There's a story about a guy who has a, there's a flood, he builds a boat, and he saves himself um, as a result of that. Now, it's a very lengthy story, but there's some parallels that happen in that story that are... um, connected, or excuse me, have some parallels in that story that seem similar to the elements that we have in our biblical narrative. Now, what I want to share with you just very briefly, again, a lot of times when I talk, I pose problems. I don't necessarily pose solutions for you guys. But again, the point is that we can be very well-educated, very thoughtful people, very um, deep-thinking Christians in the world that is extremely educated and has Google right at the fingertips. Your friends, your your associates, your colleagues, your family, they're going to know about this stuff instantaneously. So what I want to share with you is not a a full, complete comparison. I'm going to do a little bit of a comparison. But what I want to share with you is that this doesn't bother me at all when it comes to understanding that this is God's Word, And there's something that God is communicating to us. And my fundamental thesis or my fundamental idea is simply this. God throughout history, and we've um, seen this through the Genesis story. Remember we talked about Enuma Elish with Genesis chapter 1 and the creation stories there. God throughout history, as best as I can see it, has always used forms and illustrations that make sense to us. 
So if he's going to communicate something deep and profound to people who understood floods, then he's going to use a flood story. Now, we can get into all of the debate as to whether or not this is historical or global or local and those kinds of things, and I think that's a wonderful debate to have, and and let's have that. But let's not be timid or shy or even concerned that these other stories exist as if it does damage to the credibility of our scriptures. We don't have to fear anything regarding that. The scriptures, the, the Bible that you carry around is authoritative and has amazing authority and power and has amazing power when it comes to teaching you what it wants to teach. And we should accept that and we should understand that, even in light of things like Epic of Gilgamesh, which, which you can go out and download for free and read the whole story yourself and see, do the comparison and contrast yourself. So does that make sense? We have nothing to fear. It makes sense to me that God has always used the things that we are familiar with to communicate with us. And he's doing something redemptive, He's doing something forward-pushing in this story, and I'd like to share with you a couple of those things that I think are happening in this story, and especially when you compare it to the Epic of Gilgamesh, that is really insightful for us. Now, the floods, by the way, make a lot of sense to these people. Um, Werner Keller, who's written a book, uh, The History of the Bible, um, talks a little bit about how the floods in Mesopotamia were a naturally occurring kind of a deal. You can see mud layers, which is the evidence of the flood. And if you have the Tigris and the Euphrates River coming through here, you can see there's a plain of Mesopotamia, which is why there's a lot of civilizations there and the rivers there. And if you have uh, unusually heavy rains or unusually early summers where the snow melt um, from the mountains of Turkey come down, you would see flooding in this area very, very frequently. So this is something that these people are aware of. There's something that um, the ancient people would understand is like there's something going on in the heavenlies. There's something going on in the spirit world that is is trying to communicate to us. Um, And so again, that to me illuminates something brilliant about why God is telling the story through a guy by the name of Noah. His name, by the way, means rest. Noah means to rest. And in the midst of chaos, when we've talked about water before being the chaos, in the midst of chaos and the flooding and destruction, what is saved in this story is rest. And that's something beautiful about this story. So just really quickly, a couple things. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the reason for the flood is divine judgment. The, the flood comes because there are really, really bad things happening And we have to get rid of it in order for the gods to perpetuate their values on earth. What's fascinating about the Genesis story is it's not just judgment. It's not just chastisement, but it's also divine grace. When God saves the family, when he redeems. In fact, later on in 1 Peter, the flood is going to come as a baptism of the earth, a renewing, a recreation of the earth. In the Epic of Gilgamesh story, the motive is population control. There's too many people here. And if you read your Genesis account carefully, it will say these people are growing in numbers. They're becoming many on the earth. But the Bible also says that what is also growing is destruction, violence, bloodshed, chaos. And so in the biblical story, it's not just population control, it's pollution control. There's something that God is trying to do on this earth. It's trying to get rid of all the pollution that is happening because of mankind spreading. It's not just population, it's pollution. In fact, the word for violence in there, for those of you who watch the news and who are familiar with Middle Eastern politics and stuff, is the word Hamas. 
the world was full of Hamas violence, which has a lot of resonance in today's news. In the Epic of Gilgamesh story, the hero is royalty, the aristocracy. But in the Genesis story, Noah, the hero of the story, is righteous. He does the right things. And then in the Epic of Gilgamesh story, it's six to seven days um, where there's flooding. But in the biblical story, it's 40 days and 40 nights. Now, there's a couple things I want to illuminate for you as a result of this. The beginning of this story, remember, we talked about layers of Genesis being one on top of another. So we may want to think about, and again, I'm not saying this is the way to think about, but we may want to think about the, the Noah and the flood story as another layer on top of all these other layers that we've been talking about. So what's, the, what's one of the layers of the story of the creation? That God has created this world and he called it good. Very good. There's something amazing and beautiful that happens here. We have um, God saying, it, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And he looks on all of it, and he looks at it. It's almost as if he's attracted to his creation because it is good. And then what happens is not only the eating of the fruit, but then as people began to grow and as people began to flourish and as people begin to do exactly what God had called them to do, which is to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, as they began to do that, violence comes upon the earth. And the earth is not the way it is supposed to be. The earth is not turning out to be the fullness of the beauty of creation that God desired it. And the earth is not the environment that is exactly the way God wants it for you and me. This is not the kind of experience God wants for us. And so the creation story of God creating and then the flood story are coupled together. And you see this in a couple ways. For example, in Genesis 1.26, you see the story that <clears throat> let us make man in our image, in the image of, and likeness, God created them. The form, the order of the words is make and then create. But then in Genesis 6.7, in this flood story, God is sad. And almost in a very poetic way, reverses that order to say, I regret the humanity that I have created. I'm sad as to what I have made. And that reversal there from Genesis 1.26 to Genesis 6.7 is almost a way of saying, listen, God set things in motion in order in one particular direction, and what we've done is we've reversed that. He's sad that we're going in the opposite direction. So those little literary clues are kind of like saying, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe what one of the lessons of the story is to say that God has a, a way in which things ought to be. And when we reverse that, that is what causes violence. It's not, again, just immorality. It's a reversal of the creation story. So there's three main categories uh, of which I want to share with you. Uh, that I think this comes into play. First is from one man. And here here's comes the redemptive part. Um, if God created the earth in one direction and then reversed it or made a reversal statement in the sense of violence on the earth, then what he's doing with the flood is he's recreating it again. And what we're going to see is there's a different way uh, to go about recreating in the Genesis 6 through 9 story than there was in the Genesis 1 story, yet another layer. 
So there's three main things. From one man, blood for blood, and then a bow. From one man, blood for blood, and then a bow. These are some, some highlights of this story that I think are important. Uh, if you take a look at the story of Noah, what comes immediately after this story, Genesis 6 through 9? It's the table of nations. It's the genealogy. It's like, here's where all these people come from. Now, we skip over genealogies because they're boring and we don't know how to pronounce their names very well. And it's always, you know, kind of that kind of a deal. By the way, uh, Noah's name means rest. Shem is name. Ham or Ham means hot. And Japheth or Japheth means beautiful. So Noah has sons that are a hot, beautiful name. Or Abraham. No, that comes later. That's in chapter 12. (laughs) Sorry. So hot, beautiful, and name. And from these people come an entire populace of people that flood the entire earth. That flood the entire earth. That populate the entire earth. A little Freudian slip there, I guess. And one of the stories, one of the things that is illuminated in this is the idea that from one man, from one family... From one person, the entire world comes into being. And this is a beautiful expression of the Genesis 1 story that every single one of you are created in God's image and his likeness and have been commanded to be fruitful and multiply on all of the earth. And that lesson, that idea that every single one of us as individuals is created in God's image is duplicated in the Noah story, just subtly hidden in there. By sending Noah to the boat, to the, to the ark, and then recognizing that after Noah is the righteous person that saved, an entire group of people come out. Noah is doing, again, what Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, this lesson is beautiful because we see this, and, and this is especially true for those of us who just came back from Israel, because we see this illuminated in Jewish ethic even to this day. Uh, we went to a place called Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is a Holocaust Not museum, but a memorial. It's a memorial to the six million people, six million Jews that were slaughtered in the Holocaust. And one of the ethics, you can see, there's actually some amazing pictures here. This is one of the, uh, one part of the memorial that cuts through the mountain. It's an amazing aerial shot that we couldn't see while we were there. But um, the idea and the imagery and the picture there is that the Holocaust, like this memorial is cutting through the mountain, the Holocaust cut through the heart of the Jewish people. So it's a beautiful kind of image and picture. Um, but as you go through Yad Vashem and as you take a look at these um, uh, monuments that they've built, this is, by the way, the children's monument. And the reason why those pillars are cut off is because it symbolizes how children who were slaughtered in the Holocaust, their lives were cut off um, right in the middle of their life. But the reason why this is important is because even to this day, there's this ethic and a Jewish saying that says, if you um, murder one person, it's as if you've murdered a world. It's as if you've murdered a world. In other words, every single one of you, every single one of us in this room, is capable of bringing about a whole new, fresh creation in this world. From one man, Noah, comes Shem, Ham, and Japheth, And the rest of the nations come into being. The recreation that God was doing in the Noah story comes through one person. And I think one of the beautiful lessons there is that that 
beautiful recreation on this earth can come through you. Just one of you. The recreation of what God wants on this earth comes through you. This is uh, illustrated again in Acts 17. Um, There's this uh, reference. From one man he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries in of their lands. Every single one of us have the capability through us being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth of bringing about the new creation. And that's something that I don't hear talked much about in the Noah story, but that's one of the lessons that's hidden under there. When you look in the mirror, do you see one person that could bring about the entire beautiful recreation of this world? That's what you should see because that's who Noah is. The rest of Noah brings about the entire recreation of this world. And so I hope that when you look in the mirror, when you think about that person that's sitting next to you, when you think about your coworker, when you think about the children that you're raising, when you think about those individuals, what is in our minds as a result of this story is through that, that child that sits over there, the entire beautiful recreation of the world could come through. And I hope you feel that and sense that. So that's one lesson that I think is important. From one man, the entire nation comes, and a beautiful recreation comes. The second thing is Genesis 9, 6, is the idea of blood for blood. Now, I know it's hard to read this, so I'll put this up. In Genesis 9, 6, God sets about a way of justice. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed And if you notice, it's this beautiful reversal again. It goes in one direction, and then it reverses itself in another direction in a very poetic way. And God, what did he do? He destroyed the entire world. He destroyed the the entire known earth. And he's like, that's not the way to do justice. We're going to get to the bow in just a second. That's not the way to do justice. You know what? Punishment still needs to be meted out. If the world was full of violence, if the world was full of Hamas, we need a way or a system to set up a way of making sure that punishment happens and redemption happens. And so he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, which is a precursor to the idea or the concept of eye for eye and tooth for tooth, which is justice. So in this story, we see a, a picture of justice of what God is setting up. And by the way, it's very a poetic way, and so we call this poetic justice, essentially. Okay, so, moving on from there. (laughs) So, and the reason why this justice is needed is because we are all created in the image of God, and God made each and every one one of us in his image. This begins, and again, I've started something that hopefully we will finish in conversation. This begins the idea and the concept of justice, of taking people to court, of holding people accountable, so that for the express purpose of redeeming the violence that has been here on earth. Now, what's beautiful about this is that's the way God has designed for it to be, which helps us understand maybe why God doesn't intervene all the time when we see injustice happen. Now, that's not a very comforting thought sometimes, but have you ever asked the question, God, why don't you just wipe those people out? Why don't you just intervene with those people over there that are doing the most horrific things to other people? Why doesn't God just come in and destroy them? Why? Whoever sheds the blood of man by man 
shall his blood be shed. It is our responsibility, collective responsibility, to mete out justice and to bring about redemptive justice here on earth. And that's a precursor to that. And the reason why God doesn't is because of this last image, the bow. Now, this symbol in this picture in Genesis um, is actually, the word is called, uh, the word in Hebrew is keshet. Everybody say keshet. Keshet. And this is what it looks like here. Um, You can see that even in modern logos, they've taken the word keshet and made the rainbow kind of a deal. And God sets the rainbow into the sky as a reminder to himself that he is never going to flood the earth. But is it really a rainbow? I'm going to suggest to you this amazing, beautiful picture that I see that I think is really illuminating about the beauty about uh, the beauty of who this God is. The word keshet in Hebrew doesn't originally mean rainbow. It means bow and arrow. So, in the ancient world, there's all sorts of wonderful technology that are developed. Close combat, these kinds of things. But of course, the best kind of uh, technology that you can develop, especially munitions technology, is going to be, I can kill you from afar, kind of a deal. And so the, the bow and arrow becomes this picture of meeting out divine justice. And I can show you some other sources that I didn't have prepared um, for you tonight where the bow and arrow is being used as a way for the gods to mete out divine justice um, and detriment on earth. And the bow and arrow is the symbol of that because it's from a distance upon which this uh, justice is being laid out or, or even divine wrath is being laid out upon people. But I will, and So I will tell you that in every single 74 times, every time this word keshet is used, and you can write those all down, I'll I'll wait. Uh, Every single time this word is used, it refers to a bow and arrow. It's a munitions term. It's a munitions term. So, question, what is God doing when he takes his bow and arrow and he hangs it up? When he hangs it up in the sky. If you read carefully this story, He not only grieves that he has made man and man has caused Hamas and violence to come upon the earth, but then he's also sad that he destroyed the very creation, which you don't see in other stories. This God is sad. And he says, you know what? I used my weapon. I have the ability, I have the power, I have the prerogative, I have everything that I need to destroy everybody here on earth. And if you do something bad, mm mm-hmm. And of course, it's not an arrow. It's like a lightning bolt, because that's what we all say. God's shooting lightning bolts out of the sky for us, kind of a deal. But God grieves even that. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to hang it up. I did it once. I destroyed the earth. All my power, everything that I have the prerogative to do, I did that. But I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to say, never again. This is not the way justice needs to come on the earth. By God calling down fire from heaven, by God calling down lightning bolts from heaven, by God bringing down destruction and flood here on earth. It's not the way justice is going to work, which is why the Genesis, uh, Genesis, um, Genesis 9-6 is so important. If anyone sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed. We're going to do this in a different way. God is going to hang it up and say, even though I have the power, I'm not going to use it. So punishment and justice must be meted out. 
it must happen in order to bring about redemption in this world. But it's never going to come about through me destroying you. I'm hanging it up. I'm hanging it up. And if ever there's violence on earth again, there's a different way to handle it. There's a justice way to handle it. There's a punishment way to handle it. And there's a redemption way of handling it. And one of the beautiful pictures that I see is, where does this bow and arrow, when it hangs in the sky, who does it face? Who ultimately then is going to take on the ultimate destruction and punishment for the violence that happens on earth? It's pointed yet to him. And I got to tell you, that blows my mind that even in this Noah's story that, you know, we have flowery pictures and flannel graphs of, you know, lions and elephants and all on the boat. And Noah's there with a smile because anybody who hangs out with that many animals smiles that much. I don't know. But I think one of the most beautiful pictures is that while violence has been on the earth and God has every prerogative in his power to destroy it, and he does. He recognizes this is not the way to do it. So he hangs it up and he says, justice is going to be meted out by you. We're going to get together, figure out how this justice thing is going to work, which is why justice and rescue and reconciliation is all part of the values of Spark because we've got to figure this out together because God has provided a way for us to do that through his teachings, through his laws. Now, the last thing regarding this is simply this. How many of you, or maybe I should hang on to this, how many of you feel that when somebody does you wrong, you want to pick up your bow? And what you want to do, I'm not aiming at anybody specific. <laughs> but when that person, you know, person cuts you off on the highway kind of a deal, but when that, when that somebody betrays you, when that somebody does you so wrong, steals from you, when that person treats you like trash, when that person, when there's somebody in your life that has meted out or has provided for you violence, Hamas, destruction in your life, I will tell you the most immediate impulse for us is going to want to grab our bow and arrow and say, okay, you're, you're done, buddy. And so maybe the, the lesson for us or the model for us of God is like, okay, let's hang it up. God himself, with all of his power and prerogative, hung up his bow. Maybe we should do the same. And to figure out how to, as Jesus says, love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Because there's a different way of bringing out the divine justice. There's a different way of bringing out God's recreation in this world. And it can come through just one of you. Just like it came through one person in Noah, it can come through just you. You and the multiplication of who you are on this earth can bring about that beautiful recreation. Any questions? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Spark. I bless you tremendously for your word and these stories. I thank you for these people. Um, I thank you for... uh, teaching us continually. May our hearts and our eyes be open once again to hearing um, your beautiful story 
your justice here on earth. And help us, Lord, to fall in line with you. You have modeled for us what it means to live out justice and love on this earth. God, help us to do that. Help us to hang it up. Help us to see this world through your eyes. Um, Give us the power by your spirit um, to provide justice and redemption in a world full of violence and hatred and, and evil. Help us to do that. And may we read these stories, God, with new and fresh eyes. Um, We bless you, God. Um, Be with us for the rest of tonight and the rest of this week. And God, I I pray for my friends here. As this week comes, may the lessons of these stories in Genesis come to mind and remind us once again that we and our co-workers and our enemies and our family members and our children are all created in your image and likeness. And help us to redeem them and that in situations and bring justice to this world and to live out your recreation once again. And we pray in your name. Amen.